Well, good morning and welcome to Waypoint. My name is Nick Raimondo. I'm one of the staff members here, and we're really glad that you've chosen to join us this morning. Maybe this is uh, your first time here, or maybe it's been a little while since you've been here, and you might be wondering to yourself, what in the heck is this, the Stranger Things, all about? Well, let me take a few minutes and explain why we're doing this series and how we got there. It was a few months ago, Blair, he's another staff member, the lead pastor here, was sitting in a staff meeting with all of us, and he was talking about a show that he had started watching and how he loved it. It's a Netflix original, it's called Stranger Things, and he was going on and on about this and how he thought we could really find a way to use it as a series and we could pull truths from it. Now let me be honest, as he was explaining it, this was my initial thought. Oh my gosh, here we go. Blair in his 1980s freaky deaky sci-fi loving self is going to make us do a lame-o service. This is going to stink. But what I quickly realized was other people on staff were kind of excited about this idea. And so I thought, well, maybe it's just me. And so the second season had just finished, and I thought, well, let's see what the ratings say. Are people really watching this? Are people going to know what this is even about? And after the second season ended, the statistics came out, and what it showed was 15.8 million people watched the first episode within three days of it being put on Netflix. And then another 4.6 million people watched the entire season within seven days. And then 361,000 psychos, maybe you, watched it within the first 24 hours. These ratings were up there with shows like The Good Doctor or This Is Us. So there is a group of our culture that is watching this show. Maybe that's you, maybe that's not you. It wasn't me, but since we were doing the series, I felt like I should probably know what was going on, and I watched a few episodes of it to get a good idea, and I understand why people are fascinated and why they like this. It is a good show. It has some great ideas. But my next question was, how does this relate to church and our Christian walk, and if people haven't seen the show, are they going to be confused if we do a series on it? So Blair started explaining what the show was about. And if you haven't seen it, let me explain a little bit to you. The premise or idea is there are two worlds competing against each other. One is called the upside down world and the other is the normal world. Now if you live in the normal world, it's just like the world you and I exist in. But the upside down world is this dark, mysterious, kind of dangerous place where it's, you don't really know what's happening or what's going on, but you know that it's something really weird. And if you live in the normal world, you don't even know that this upside down world exists at the beginning. As it goes on and the show progresses, you start getting some clues that maybe something funky is going on, but it doesn't come out and show you right away. But if you live in the upside down world, you can see what's going on in the normal world, and you can even kind of interact in a weird way. And so what happens is there's this preteen, teenage boy that gets taken, and his family and community are all scared, and they're freaking out, and they're running around frantically looking for where this boy is. They don't know if he's been murdered, if there's been an accident, if he's been kidnapped, or what has happened to him. What really happened was the upside-down world had taken him and abducted him. 
And so the mom, who just like any one of you mothers here would be frantically panicking, was searching all over for any clues as to where he could be. And she had an intuition that only a mother could have, that he was nearby somewhere, and he was trying to communicate with her. But she couldn't figure out how to talk with him because he was in a different world. And so she's crying out to him saying, where are you? What do you want me to do? How can I find you? Let me help you. Are you safe? Are you okay? And then she realizes that from the upside down world, he can control some things in the normal world and he can control the lights. I want you to take a look at a scene from the show and then we're gonna talk about it. If you haven't seen the show, does this make a little more sense now? If you're paying attention and if you are looking at the letters that are lighting up, it's spelling the word waypoint as the lights bounce around. It was part of the stage design idea and a way to pull the show into the series. The mom was living in one world and her son was living in a different and they had to find ways to communicate with each other. And this is where I think it could relate to our walk with Christ. See, Jesus was talking to the disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, and they kind of escaped from a crowd, and they were up on this mountain, and he was giving them a lot of advice. He was saying to them things like, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you, this is how you should live. The culture and the world you exist in would say to do this when this happens, but I tell you, you should respond like this. And Jesus is going through this and giving them all sorts of advice and ideas. And the reason he's doing this is because he's showing them that if you choose to live in a way that I tell you to live, you have an opportunity in Matthew chapter 5 to be the salt and light in this world. You can live for a different standard. You can bring change. 
And what happens when you and I decide to live for a different standard than what the world lives for? It kind of creates us living in two different worlds where we have to find a way to communicate with each other and coexist with one another. And our language isn't the same because we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're led by different standards, standards that the normal world doesn't understand. What it looks like is an illustration that I want you to do. In front of you at your table, you're gonna see there's a Ziploc baggie. Inside that baggie, there is a puzzle. There's only 12 pieces, so it shouldn't take your table long. What you're going to do is you're gonna put that puzzle together. But before you do so, Make sure you introduce yourself to the people around you. If you're sitting at one of the chairs and there's not a puzzle by you, that's okay. You can either get up and move towards the table or if you want to stay where you're at, I completely get that. I want you to introduce yourself to somebody nearby and talk about your favorite Netflix TV show or favorite TV show and why that's your favorite show. So if you would, I'm going to give you about two minutes. We'll pull the house lights up a little bit and see if you can put that puzzle together. Everything you need is in front of you. All right, go ahead and dim the lights. If you're not finished, that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and use this as an illustration. In front of you, what you have is a puzzle. Now, some of you may have been able to get it completely done. Some of you maybe not. But as I look around, it looks like a lot of you guys have at least one piece that's not in your puzzle. If you have one piece, could, could someone from your table just hold that piece up? What that represents is the life that you live. What the puzzle represents is the world that we live in. See, since the fall of man, we knew what the world was going to be like. We knew that there was going to be chaos and that there was going to be destruction and that we wouldn't quite fit in this world. But you and I were made for this world. If we can live the way that Jesus called us to live, then we're that weird-shaped puzzle piece that doesn't really fit but comes in and has an opportunity to be the light and the salt of this world to impact people's lives in ways that don't make sense because we talk with a language that is from the Holy Spirit. And over the next two weeks, you're going to hear different ideas of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you could take some of these ideas and apply them to your life, we believe that you'll have a shot at being the salt and the light of this world. So before we get going, I want you guys to take a listen to a special song and see if you can figure out what we're going to talk about today. Check, check. Well, for those of you who don't know, at the end of May, Chandler is getting married, and I think he should uh, serenade his future bride with that song. <laughs> <laughs> that song was performed by Foreigner. It's on the Stranger Things soundtrack in 1984. And the person that wrote that song was writing it to their second wife. It was before they got married. They were going into it saying they faced heartache and pain before. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me what love is. And I believe that that's a universal statement that we're all saying and asking. 
It doesn't matter if we've been following Christ for a long time. It doesn't matter if we don't know who Christ is. No matter who we are and where we're from, we all have this desire to know what love is. What it looks like is, a, is three examples that I have that have happened to me recently. One of them being a phone call that I had with my sister. Now, my sister's a missionary. She lives out of the States, but she has a home church in Pennsylvania that sends her and supports her. And the pastor there has a son, and his son is an adult age and struggles with drug abuse. And as he struggles with drug abuse, so does his spouse, or his, it was his girlfriend at the time. And so the son and the girlfriend got together, had a child, and the child was born addicted to drugs. And so the pastor and his wife stepped in and took over custody of their child. And so when I was talking to my sister on the phone, I said, hey, how's that situation going? Have they started to get cleaned up? What's happening with the son? How's the child progressing? What's their health like? And she said, I forgot to tell you, about a year ago, the son mixed two drugs that weren't mixed, supposed to be mixed together and lost his life. He's no longer with us. He'll no longer be able to be a father of this, this daughter. He didn't mean to. It was an accidental overdose, but it took his life. The son was searching to feel something in life. He wanted to know what love is, and so he turned to some sort of substance to try and fill that void in his heart. Or it might look like this. There was a gal that was ringing people out. She was teenage um, at a local store. And when I got up there and it was my turn, she was wearing short sleeves and I could see all up and down her arms were cuts from where she had been cutting herself. Some were fresh scars, some were scars from years past. But she had gotten to a place where she had so much hurt and so much pain in her life, she wanted to feel any type of release. And it happened that when she would cut herself, she would feel something in this world. And it was better than feeling nothing. Or maybe it's like a childhood friend of mine who in his early 20s lost his life. He was uh, abused as a kid by a family member. And he dealt with that pain through adolescence and as he grew up. And the only way that he could name that numb that pain and heartache was by taking a substance. And his family knew about it, friends knew about it, but there was nothing they could do because he said, I can't even exist or function if I'm not on this stuff because I just think about how that person hurt me. Well, he bought a batch of bad stuff and it ended up taking his life accidentally. See, I think we are surrounded by people that have faced heartache and pain and we're all saying, we wanna know what love is. Now, for you or I, maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it is. Maybe you know someone that's dealing with some really serious stuff. But maybe it looks more like this. Maybe you haven't felt cared for or loved at home for a little while. You haven't gotten the attention that you feel like you deserve. And all of a sudden, that coworker is starting to pay a little attention to you. And it feels good because you're feeling something you haven't felt in a really long time. And you start entertaining ideas and thoughts. And it goes from just thoughts to actions. And before you know it, you are living a lifestyle out of bounds that you know God would not approve of and your spouse definitely wouldn't be happy with. Or maybe you've been hurt so bad in life, you have a hard shell. You don't let anybody in because when you let people in, you just get burned and hurt and no one's ever been able to show you what love truly is. And so you just push people away and keep that hard exterior. Or maybe you like to, to make jokes and people like that you're the funny person. 
and, and you might be at school and you'll make fun of a kid and the rest of the crowd will laugh and you don't even think about how it impacts that kid that you're making fun of because everybody else is laughing and they're getting something out of it and it makes you feel good about yourself. I was in high school, I was in middle school, I know how it is. I did those same things. I don't know what you're here dealing with today, but I think we all are asking that question. We wanna know what love is. And I think if you and I can look at some of the teachings of Jesus, we have an opportunity to answer what love may look like and also become a community of believers that respond differently. That when the world would respond this way, we respond in a different way that honors God and that brings salt and light to situations. So when people come with heartache and pain, we can show them where love comes from and we can be a community that is different than any other community out there. And so this morning, we're gonna look at two aspects on the Sermon on the Mount. Now what some people might not understand, we've talked about this before, but when Jesus was delivering the Sermon on the Mount, we picture him on this mountainside with 11 disciples, and that was true. But at the bottom of this mountainside, there would have been different religious groups. There would have been Pharisees, Sadducees, Gentiles, all sorts of people around the bottom of this mountain. And the way that it's geographically located, his voice would have carried down the mountain. And so people would have heard this radical teaching that he was giving. And they would have been like, what in the heck is this guy saying? Where's he coming from? We would never respond that way. It doesn't make any sense. It's against the culture. Who is this guy and why is he teaching in this way? But the reason he taught in this way is because he knew it was the only way to bring salt and light into situations. So if you have your Bibles or any app that you use to access your Bible, please turn to the Sermon on the Mount that's in Matthew. It starts at chapter five, but we're gonna start in chapter seven and we're gonna look at one aspect that Jesus tells the disciples that I think really relates to today. In Matthew chapter seven, it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See what Jesus is saying here and what we've interpreted is this idea of judging others. And when we think of it, we think of it as, oh my goodness, look at the car they're driving. Look at the job they have. Look at the clothes she's wearing. Look at the house. And we're looking with this judgmental attitude. And that's part of it. But this word judgment goes further than just that. And it was something that their culture was dealing with. And I think our culture today deals with. Because if we continue on, we get to a section of scripture that most of you will recognize. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? What Jesus was saying here was more than just judgment. He was actually talking about sin. See, that culture was calling people out for the sins that they were living. And so they would go up to a lady that maybe had multiple partners and they would say, you're living a life out of bounds, you need to be stoned to death. Or they'd go up to a husband that was having an affair and say, you are living a life that God doesn't honor. There's consequences for that. And they were publicly crucifying and calling these people out and causing a lot of hurt and pain in the community. And all the while, these people were doing it in the name of God. But the truth is, in their own life, they had sin and they had judgment. 
and it looked like a plank sticking right through their head because they were dealing with their own stuff, but they would keep it hidden in secret. And if it wasn't in public, then who knows about it? And we can call you out or call anyone else out. So then it continues on in verse five, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That word hypocrite would have been a theater or play term. It would have been somebody that was acting in a part that wasn't authentically them. Now we've taken this word and we've changed it into where it's very similar, but somebody's actions aren't matching up with the words that they're saying. And I think that this is still true today. I think it looks like this. There was a pastor a few years back, a few states away, who was going around and publicly calling people out for the sinful life that they were living. And he was doing it in the name of Jesus. And so he'd go up to them and completely embarrass them and make them feel ashamed and smear their name in the whole community. And he was doing it in a very hurtful way. But all the while he was saying, Jesus has just called me to come correct your behavior. You need to change your way, rebuke the devil and turn back to Christ. And he was doing this years after year after year until one day it comes out that this pastor was having an affair himself. And this affair had lasted a while. Now let me ask you, how do you think the community responded? Do you think the community was like, pastor, there's consequences to your actions, but you showed us so much grace and love when we were struggling, so we're gonna wrap our arms around you. We're gonna help your family through this. We know that you're gonna have to answer to the, deci- to the decisions you made, but we, we got your back. No, they were like, yes, finally, this guy, he embarrassed us. He smeared our names. He called us out in front of everyone. Gets what is coming to him. You deserve this. You should deal with the consequences. You take on the punishment. And that's the way that the world views this idea of judgment and judging other sins. But Jesus tells us we should live a different way. And so further down in verse six, it says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This would have been a reference to a section of scripture in Proverbs where it says even a dog returns to its vomit. The picture that Jesus was trying to create was if there's somebody that's living a life in sin and hasn't experienced the Holy Spirit or hasn't experienced a different way of living, they're gonna constantly go back to that lifestyle because it's the only lifestyle they know. Just like a pig, when you clean a pig up and then let them go in the wild, they're gonna run right back to that mud hole because it's what they're comfortable with and what they know. So what Jesus is saying is you and I have to find a way to communicate differently with the world. Instead of calling people out for the sins that they're living and saying the way that you're living your life is wrong, we need to respond differently. We need to communicate And so in a world where I could go on Facebook and I could see any topic, it doesn't matter what it is, you're gonna have two drastic sides screaming and yelling at each other and not ever able to find a common place in the middle, never able to communicate, is the world we live in. So how do we talk to people when they don't speak with the same language that you and I speak with? When they're from a different world? Well, I think what we do is we live like Jesus did. We love people. We care for them. We respect them even if their views are different than ours. We don't don't change our standards. We don't change our guidelines. 
but we don't condemn somebody for living an alternative lifestyle than what we live. We just are there for them. We're present in the moments with them. And then at some point, if you can do that, you may have an opportunity to be the salt and light in their life. And when things start to hit their, the fan in their life, you may have an opportunity to pour into theirs. They might see that you live for a different standard and they'll desire that, they'll be drawn to it. But if you sit there and you just yell across the aisle, back and forth at each other, they will never give you the time of day and neither will we. Now listen, I am very glad that we have strong convictions and we should hold true to those. But the way we treat people is a universal language that's understood no matter where you're at. Our language with the Holy Spirit isn't understood until somebody gets to that place on their own. And we have to be patient and wait for the process to unfold and just be thankful that God allows you to be a part of other people's journeys. But here's the problem with that. When we talk about judgment, I'm no better than anybody else here. In fact, I knew I was gonna be speaking about this topic and my wife and I were driving through the plaza that Target's located in, and there was a lady holding a sign that said, we'll work for food. And instantly, in my mind, I thought, are you kidding me? There are thousands of jobs in Elkhart County. I can't go down the street without passing, now hiring, and you're going to hold that sign up there? And then I felt the Holy Spirit start to convict me and say, Nick, you're going to be talking about this, and you struggle with it. You, you've written her whole story and you don't even know what pain she's faced in life. You don't even know what heartache she's faced. Why don't you give her a chance by loving on her and maybe you'll have an opportunity to engage and impact her. And that's where it takes us to our next section of scripture in Matthew chapter six. It's called giving to the needing, needy. Now here they are talking about giving financially, but I don't think it just stays there. I think this could be your time your attitude when you're serving, when you volunteer, and it could be money. But it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That statement to practice your righteousness isn't really understood by our culture, but it would have been a term that the Jewish people knew because everybody would have had a box of righteousness in their house. It was called a box of zedekah. This word zedekah means charity. It's a Hebrew word. And it would have also been called the box of righteousness. And Jewish people by law would have needed to give 10% to go towards charity. And so they would go and they would drop their coins in this box of Zedekah, box of charity or box of righteousness. So Jesus was saying, when you give, don't give in a way to get glory on earth. Because if you do, then the reward you get by the response people give you is the only reward that you're going to get. He says... So instead, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. There's that word again, people that are playing a part that's not authentically them, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. There are three different interpretations that are popularly known about this idea of announce it with trumpets that they think Jesus might have been trying to say. One is that when you drop the coins in that box, it might have sounded like an instrument. And since it sounded like an instrument, people would have known what a trumpet was. So Jesus was saying, don't throw your money in there in a way that people hear you and know that you're giving. Do it quietly and silently. 
The second way that they think it could be interpreted is people did know what trumpets were and they would go around for political or personal gain and play instruments such as a trumpet when they were giving money to charities or when they were trying to get people to vote for them. And they would announce it with a trumpet. Everybody that needed help would come running and they would do it for their own glory. So maybe Jesus was saying, don't actually play a trumpet for your own glory when you give money or when you give your time or when you give your resources. I think it could be the third reason. I don't have a reason why to believe this. I just feel most comfortable with it. Everybody in that culture would have known what a trumpet was. And so I think Jesus was using symbolism to create this idea that trumpets are loud and proud instruments. And when you give, don't give in a way that is loud and proud. Instead, give in a way that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Because when you give in a way that is loud and proud, you're doing it for your own glory. But when you give your time, when you give by pouring into relationships, when you give by serving others, if you do it quietly, and if you do it so God can get all the glory, then we're gonna bring a salt and light into this world, and people are gonna be like, what in the heck just happened? There has to be a God, there has to be somebody different, because the way this person's living their life is different from the world that we live. It was a few years ago, we were putting together the playground in the back, and the organization came to help us build it, and as the owner of the organization was there, he was explaining how these different large companies or sports teams go around and put up playgrounds in low um, poverty-stricken communities and how it's a great thing that they pay for it, but what happens is the NFL player or athlete or whomever comes along the morning of the build, grabs a tool, grabs a piece of equipment, grabs a kid, takes a picture, puts the stuff down and leaves. They don't stay there and pour into the community, and then that company is there to pick up the pieces and to continue pouring into people. That's a picture of how we should not be giving. We shouldn't be doing it so that we get the glory, but we should give in a way that God gets the glory. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come back up, because the band is going to play a song for you. And Chandler's going to give a few words about what this song means, but before he does that, I want to give you something to reflect on. If you would, while this song is playing, I want you to think about your walk with Christ up until this point. Is judgment something that you struggle with? Do you judge others for the way they live their life? Do you judge others by the way that they interact with their family? Do you call people out for the sins that they're living and not even reflect on your own sins? Or, or is there another thing that you're struggling with? Do you give for your own honor and glory instead of God's? Listen, I work really hard for my money. I understand what it's like to want to have your own and to have recognition for what you're doing. It's something that I struggle with. My pride gets in the way. But we've got to give in a way that honors God so that others know there's salt and light in this world. We have a chance as a community of believers to come together and to serve the world in a unique way. See, over the next two weeks, Blair's gonna start talking about a few other aspects that you should pay attention to. But during this song, if the Holy Spirit prompts you or leads you or convicts you to think about something you're doing, I just ask that you quietly bow your head and pray to him and just say, God, what do I need to do in life? Am I living my life in a way that brings salt and light to the community? Or are there adjustments that I need to make? 
After this song, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to say a few words as we close. But if you would, go ahead and take a listen as Chandler explains what the song's all about. If you would, go ahead and bow your heads with me as I close the day in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, it's, uh, it's humbling to be here today. The truth is, there were plenty of times that people could have judged me. I was living the life of a hypocrite. Lord, I still struggle with it. And I, and I judge others. And I look at the sins they're living and I think, what are they doing? But the truth is, I need to focus on myself. I need to give my time to those people, build relationships, love them in incredible ways. Lord, I don't know who's here today. I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know if they've been on a journey with you for a while. And maybe it's time for them to, uh, to be the Craig and to serve somebody, to love someone like they've never loved before, to be the salt and the light. Maybe there's someone here today that's like the guy who sang that song, who, who needs a Craig in their life. My prayer is that before they leave today, Lord, that they interact with somebody that can just say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Doesn't matter what your past is. We're all broken. We're all messed up. My goodness, you took Nick Ramundo, a broken, messed up boy, and you have him up here speaking now, all for your glory, Lord. There is no reason that I deserve to be here other than because of you. Lord, and your love is so incredible. My prayer is that we can be a community that shows that salt and light. We love you and thank you for everything you've done for us. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. You guys are dismissed.